Welcome, everyone, to the Dr. Love Hour, and I'm your host, Dr. Love. No, no, oh. no, no. This is Sad Girls Against the Patriarchy. You tuned in correctly. Gotcha. We found all these cool sound bites, though. Yeah, we got a lot of sound effects. <laughs> Which we will definitely be using in the future because we have a lot of things that elicit that kind of response. It's not a bad idea, but no, let's not. We're... I just we'll we'll do it like six episodes from now. <laughs> oh yeah, like people will forget about it, and then we'll just like <laughs> splice it in there. It's very love line with Dr. Drew and Adam Carolla, a la yes. two thousand one, the original podcast somewhat 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 of original podcast yes okay let's try this again hello and welcome to sad girls against the patriarchy i'm allison and i'm alexis also dr love and we are your sad girls that was fun that was okay no no more fun (laughs) no fun on this podcast (laughs) we're done we're done with fun we're done with fun Um, today we're going to talk about josephine baker who is a fabulous dancer performer War hero, civil rights activist, mad woman, love her. Very excited to share her exciting story. Yeah, so we're going to be planning on doing some of these every once in a while to sort of be more uplifting um, about the female experience. So we're going to talk about important women in history. Yeah, badass bitches in American history. Maybe not even just American. We no, can just history. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Okay, but first, we got a dating profile to roast. (gasps) Someone sent us a mission, and we are so pumped. Yes. Okay, so we'll call them I, and I uses he, him pronouns. Let's look at this first picture, this blue shading in a club. What do we think? (sighs) I mean, men just never know how to... Well, he didn't take this picture. I just feel like men don't have a lot of practice with selfies and reviewing images and sending them to other people for review. So, like, not your fault, I. Yeah, and also I just feel like it's it's a little serious looking. Like, if it was a little bit more overdramatic, I would sure. think it was funny. Like, right. he was trying okay. to be intentionally be, like, ironically serious. Yeah, he's, like, gazing wistfully over a railing to look maybe pensive yes. and thoughtful. But it also looks like it's, like, a pounding club. Yes. Like a dance club. Or I think it might be a concert. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think either in this pose, like in this setting, smiling and looking at the camera would be good or over-dramatizing the gaze across. Right. Like if, if the hand was like up to the chin, like sure. he was yeah. being extra pensive hmm. <laughs> hmm. Someday, Simba, all of this will be yours. Yes. Kind of vibes. Yes, exactly. I give it a six, though. I mean, it's not the worst. Like, oh, it's definitely, it's definitely not the worst. And it's like, look, I, I do stuff. Yes. And... I mean, for you, you thought club, but I immediately thought concert. So maybe for some people, if they do think it's a club and they're not a clubby person, mm. you know, just yeah. depends. Okay. The award I should be nominated for, Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Hosted Nonfiction Series or Special, Dream Big. What? Does this mean, like, you do something mm-hmm. that would get you to this dream? Is like, is this just coming out of thin air or do you do some sort of performance special? I think just a little more context. Maybe that's like, just what he wants to do. Right. I feel dream. like that could be a little bit more specific. Or like I mean, this dr- is cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's a great dream and a great award to strive for. Yeah. Like my dream would be to host a nonfiction series on X and maybe someday win an Emmy for it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, just his stats here. Oh, writer. Okay, so maybe he writes the show. Okay, that writer. makes. Now mm-hmm. we're getting some context. Okay, liberal. Good. 
even if you're a moderate, don't say it. Just don't say it. No. Moderate's the worst, I feel. Yeah. It's like if you're, you're conservative, complacent. I know that. That's fine. If you're liberal, I'm more in agreement with that. But moderate, middle of the road. That just means you're complacent. Yeah. Okay. I feel famous when. This is a great picture. It's like I do something. Yeah. He's on a I mic. Have a passion. He's in public. He's doing some kind of a like stand up or giving a speech or something. Uh, looks casual. So I know it's not a wedding speech, which would be kind of bland. No, this is a, this is a great photo. Yeah. Solid. I'm weirdly attracted to people with good recommendations for stuff. I don't think that's weird. I have kind of a pet peeve of this one when people say I'm weirdly attracted to and then say something that's not weird. Yeah, I just think people have constructs on themselves Mm. for that. It's like you're supposed to be attracted to this small, confined thing. So I think maybe because it's a hyper – it's not even that hyper-specific though. Yeah. I think they just feel hyper-specific and then maybe for a man – being like, I'm weirdly attracted to something that's not physical, maybe feels odd for someone, maybe. I don't know. I think this is a normal thing. It's like if someone has exactly. good recommendations that you guys vibe with something, that's a normal thing of attraction. I had a screenshot of another profile to make fun of. Not I's profile, but it said, I'm weirdly attracted to happy, intelligent women. That's not weird. That is not weird at There's all. There's nothing weird about that. Although unless your friends are into sad, <laughs> dumb women. <laughs> I mean, what? (laughs) (laughs) No one's into that. (laughs) I'm confused. (laughs) Yeah. People, okay, I'm really attracted to, is there another way we could phrase this? Um, I just don't like this prompt, I think. Yeah, maybe just pick a different prompt. Yeah. Fact about me that surprises people, I believe in astrology. Oh, he's going for it. He's ran through. He knows his his birth chart. He's ran through. He's ran through. (laughs) I think that's good, though, because we are so used to seeing guys who are just like, fuck astrology. It's not real. Or just I love it when I see a profile screenshot of dudes that just go in and dog on women. It's like, I don't want a woman who X, Y, Z. It's like, okay, well, just calm down. First of all, don't act like you're fighting women off with a stick because you're not. Um, (laughs) Right. The line forms at the rope, ladies. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. Please calm down. but no, I think this is great. And that, which, what astrology sign is that in the, the emoji? That's oh, the sign. why I don't would know. you ask? Is that Virgo? I you would know. He's got his astrology I'm not great, sign. I'm not great also. with those. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not great at those. The it's only fine. ones I really remember are like mine. Yeah. Um, and then <laughs> Cancer because it's 69, um, <laughs> which is Fair. obviously hilarious. Um, oh, I think that is Cap. That is a Capricorn. Oh, uh-oh. I don't know. One of my astrology girlies says that all Capricorns are psychos. I have a lot of good friends who are Capricorns. About but... to, I, I have no real feelings about Capricorns. I have a really good friend that's a Capricorn. Is she crazy? They are great. You okay. met them. All so, right. Okay. Yeah, they're, all right. they're lovely. Never mind. Um, yeah, I like this. I like this. There's a good meme that's like, guy who gets no pussy voice. I hate astrology. Yes, <laughs> like, exactly. Like, yeah, Okay. All right, then we got some photos. Get someone who looks at you like, and then it's like an abstract art. That's kind of funny. No, I, I think this is hilarious. I love this. And then caught in the act. Again, I like that it's a picture of you performing and obviously doing what you love, but I can't see you. I know. I really, I was like <laughs> leaning into my screen here because he's so far away. The pictures other than the one with the mic with the skyscrapers in the background and the silly abstract art one, I think we could do better. Yeah, just a tune-up. Like, it's not you. It's never the person and what they look like. It's just how you style yourself and how you frame it. What you're presenting. Exactly. Yes. Not bad overall. No, not bad. I'd give it overall maybe like a 
Seven? I was thinking seven. Yeah, lots of room for growth here. Definitely. I'm surprised that someone who would listen to our podcast would not have a piece of shit profile. Like, I would be surprised if they did. Too many double negatives. If you're a listener, of course, you're doing pretty well. You just need some some tune-up. Especially a a male listener. Good job. They did ask us to roast. They said to roast, but I feel... Yeah, I don't don't want to roast you. (laughs) You're a listener and you said you love the show. (laughs) That means I like you. Right. It's like, I can be very mean, but I have nothing mean to say. I could just make stuff up to... Yeah. But I don't know, unless you're getting off to that, which, stop it, gross. <laughs> yeah, we can be mean to some screenshots I have from um, other men who don't listen to the show and yeah. are not decent. Uh, one is, my most controversial opinion is, American dating culture is purely transactional because they have no social security or upward mobility. Which is like a commentary, I guess, on capitalism, but the idea that dating is purely transactional feels very icky and also misogynistic. Very. It's like, at what point are you trying to make? I'm looking for sweet, real, silly, competent, excitable. If you wear Converse with a dress, I'm in. Not looking for pen pals. Let's eat or drink something and talk. Converse with a dress. What is it? I want a girl in a short skirt and, and a, a long, long jacket. Jacket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so like Zoe Deschanel 2011 vibes though. It's like, oh my gosh, a sundress and Converse. She's quirky. She's a manic pixie <laughs> dream girl. She's not like the other girls. <laughs> Exactly. Like, you don't understand that it's no indicator of your personality type at all. No. It's 500 Days of Summer at Garden State, your favorite movie, bro. Oh, wait. This one I think I actually liked, and that's why I screenshot it. A random fact I love is, in anglerfish mating, the male bites into the belly of the female, and their skin and blood vessels fuse. His eyes and fins melt off, his gills atrophy, and he becomes a blind, vaguely living sperm sack. This I love. <laughs> yeah, see, those guys write profiles more like that. Yes. <laughs> grotesque. I love a grotesque fun fact. That is, nature is disgusting and amazing. I've recommended, obviously, this podcast to a lot of people and um, men as well, and I hope they don't mind that we just start by reading dating profiles and talking about my love life because you know what? Why not? I hope it's fun to hear about this. I mean, uh, I find it absolutely exhilarating. Yes. I think it's oodles of fun. We got some feedback from a female listener as well who is – she's young and hasn't lost her virginity to a man yet, quote-unquote virginity, and was saying that it felt really good to hear us talk about the way that it could be less painful and that there shouldn't be so much shame around it. It was really good to get that message because it felt like we were doing the Lord's work. Yes. And then I've also heard feedback that, like, it makes them feel less alone to know that other women are dealing with the same kind of shit as well. And I think intentionally alienating – women to not talk about things like that, making them feel alone is also part of the patriarchy to make us feel shamed and alone and isolated in these kind of, in these particular subject matters like things like virginity and Mm -hmm. and sex. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about it. But today we are going to talk about Josephine Baker. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take this one, then Alexis take the next one. And then you get a surrogate to listen to. I'm your, your surrogate audience member. Perfect. I will be reacting, hopefully similarly to how you will be reacting and asking <laughs> questions. And it's going to be a story, people. Story time. Yeah, this is a story time episode. Josephine Baker has a wild and wonderful life. There's a lot of misinformation about her and a lot of contradicting facts. She also told contradicting stories about herself. She would just like spin yarns as well. So for example, she told the French press that she'd come to France because she fell asleep on a boat to Argentina and just wound up in Paris. This was not true, but this is what she would say in interviews. She's a storyteller. She likes to tell tall tales. Yes. But it, the tall tales are about herself, so she has ownership of it. And you know what? So with that, we might take 
some things with a grain of salt, but this is based on the information that's out there. Whether misinformation or not, it's still part of the fabric of her story. Yes, and her one of her sons wrote a biography about her that is considered to be fairly accurate, but he also got his information from interviewing people around her. So, you know, we'll see. She was born Frida Josephine McDonald in 1906 in Missouri. Her mother was Carrie McDonald, who was a laundry worker. There is a question about her father. She would report him as a different person at different points. And then we don't know if it was someone Carrie worked for who is potentially a white man because um, Josephine is black and grew up in a very segregated, oppressive culture in America in the early 1900s. So very traumatic upbringing. But her mom was 19 when she was born. She was not married. Josephine lived with her grandmother and her aunt. At some points, her mother and her stepdad. She was shuffled around. And when she was seven, she was sent to be a servant and a maid at someone's house. At seven? Yeah. Do you think a seven-year-old would make a good servant? No. No. As, not... <laughs> as someone that has a six-and-a-half-year-old niece, she is an idiot. <laughs> Seven-year-olds aren't good at anything no. yet. No. Absolutely. Oh, man. Poor thing. She was abused by her employer. She was made to sleep in a box. But her family was very poor. Her stepdad was frequently out of work. Her family reportedly slept in one bed. And she dropped out of school when she was 13. I feel like around then that was kind of normal, though. Yeah. The, the average was about eighth grade education for most people, which is about 13, 14. So I feel like that's on par with a, a lot of middle, lower class Americans at the time. Yeah. I mean, I think this would have been a bad time to be anyone, but especially to be a black family and to be a black girl growing up. Like, I just can't. No. Oh, gosh. I can't even imagine. I like to complain about my childhood trauma, but it really pales in comparison to yeah. her story. I feel like Josephine and I are aligned in some ways. Absolutely would see her as a role model. I will say she trumps me in terms of childhood trauma. I will, I will give her that. <laughs> Um, but she was always interested in performance. She would perform for her family outside of a local theater, kind of busking, so she could make money to go in and see shows. Was this like vaudeville era or is this a little yeah. after? Yeah, they they had reviews, but um, like R-E-V-U-E, and it would be like short acts in a longer show. Okay, so that's, yeah, that's kind of vaudevillian where they would have like yeah. multiple different, you'd have like a dance act, a puppet act, a tap act, whatever. Yes. Yeah. So she would take lessons from... A local family who did work in the theater. And then when she was 13, she went to live and work for her employer. I'm trying to remember if this was like, it was either like a factory work or maybe it was like a retail job. I don't remember, but it wasn't work. a glamorous job. She was working. And she lived with her employer who was in his 50s and was known as Mr. Dad. Oh, nope. Don't like that. We're not sure if this was a consensual situation. Based on Josephine's personality, I think that she was just dripping with moxie and would have run away had she not wanted to be there. But, I mean, it's it's abuse and it's not obviously consensual in that she was very much in a subordinate position to this man to be living with him. Yeah, and this is segregated America. I mean, the, the amount of options she might have had might have been... Pretty low. So her mother's employer and a family friend helped arrange a marriage for her to get her out of the situation somewhere else. And she married Willie Wells. Willie Wells. She was 13 years old. No. No. Do you want to guess how old Willie Wells was? Like 40. It's not that bad. Late okay. 20s. Okay. I mean, still bad. <laughs> still but... bad. Ooh. I know. 40 was a solid guess. 
you weren't actually legally allowed to get married at that time, but they just lied about her age on a that form. That all the time. I feel like there's so many stories like this where it's like, technically, you, you weren't, but everyone did it. Yeah, and, like, boys would lie to get in the military as well. Yeah. I don't know why they did that. Y'all have fun that with that. Thing. Go die in war. Jeez. <laughs> Jeez. Also, like, not having, I don't know, did they have social security numbers? I feel like the tracking was pretty limited in the early 1900s. I think Social Security, I think, came around when Social Security uh-huh. became enacted, which was FDR time. Yeah. Which okay. would have been, what, the 30s and 40s? You so, would know. Yeah. Uh, he, I mean, he, well, he was president in World War II, so. Yeah. But they got into a fight, and the story is that she hit him with a bottle, Ooh. and he ended up in the hospital, and then they separated. Like, she left him. Good. And he wasn't well off, so she wasn't being taken care of, like, was kind of the plan. But she really took herself out of situations that she didn't want to be in or changed her situation anytime she needed to, which I adore. So she was waiting tables. She's still a teenager, and she meets a jazz singer, Clara Smith. But they got to talking, and we're thinking maybe she talked about wanting to be a performer, and Clara suggested to the local theater company that they take on Josephine as a cast member. And they did. The local shows were comedic. That's where she got her start. So not sexy. At first, we we got into sexy later. She was known as Clara's protege or her lady lover. Oh. Josephine is, she is known to be bisexual and a a queer icon. However, she never admits to being bisexual. But Hmm. her son, yeah. And there is also some discussion of like, did lady lover just mean someone who counseled your your mentor, someone you worked with closely? Right. I was like, is that like a mentor, mentee sort of situation? But they didn't have that term for women because heaven forbid we share vocabulary. There was also a euphemism, perhaps a euphemism of um, they would say that Josephine would spend time in Clara's dressing room improving her penmanship. <laughs> ah, if I if I've ever heard a metaphor for for fucking, that's it. Well, you know, you got those uh, active fingers, right? That penmanship. Yep, gotta get really dexterous. But there were other chorus girls at the time who said that they had these romantic and sexual relationships with each other as part of, like, protecting each other and having this very strong bond. And they were often being mistreated by male management and producers in their lives. So they bonded together. And a lot of that would turn romantic and sexual. And we just talked about female sexual fluidity. So even yep. though they probably never used the word bisexual, it was very much part of their lives. Love that. One of her sons, adopted sons, all of her children were adopted, Jean-Claude, who wrote the biography, he interviewed her lovers in writing a biography. What an awkward thing to do, by the way. Yeah. So how was having sex with my mother? Can you tell me about it? <laughs> tell me when you guys first, like, On a scale of weird. 1 to 10. <laughs> I don't want to hear, know about no. my family going to the bone zone. But it, as closely as we can, confirms that she was queer and had relationships with women throughout her life. So 1921, she's 14, she goes to Philadelphia with the theater company and she meets a Willie Baker. This is her second Willie. She likes those Willies. Wait. <laughs> I set you up for that. Yeah, you really, you really did. <laughs> Willie Baker, she ends up taking his last name and using it for the rest of her life. They get married in New Jersey. She wrote on the certificate that she was 19 um, and her earlier marriage was never like annulled or she never had a formal divorce, but she was under 15, so it wasn't legal at the time. So she's now 15 on her second marriage, lying about her age. Yeah, before we had social security numbers and documentation, you could just kind of 
do whatever you wanted, really. Tell also, your story. Yes. I was right. Okay. Social security numbers became a thing in 1936. I am not surprised. Yep. Your trivia knowledge is through the roof. Well, I didn't know the exact year, but. She leaves Willie Baker because she's going to New York to star in Shuffle Along. So she turns and burns. She uses and maybe abuses. Wouldn't put it past her. Still love her. <laughs> Still a queen. She, yeah. <laughs> when men do it, it's bad. When women do it, it's totally fine. It's power dynamics. Power okay. dynamics. Yeah, exactly. So she excels in these shows. Oh, she's made it to New York. And she gets cast as the last girl in the chorus line, which is a comedic role. So she is the one who will act like she doesn't understand the steps, but then ends up doing a solo. She's kind of like the goofy girl. Chorus lines are extremely uniform. Everyone is supposed to be precisely doing the same thing, like if you've ever seen the Rockettes. But it used to be a custom that the very last girl on the end of the line would like trip and fall and then jump up and keep doing it. And usually was someone who was exceptionally talented because it's harder to do the bad thing and do it well than right. to just make a mistake or than to just do the uniform choreography. Right. They always say that about acting, too. And mm -hmm. Like, it takes a really amazing actor to play a bad actor. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So she is getting some success. She has a couple more colleagues who were purportedly her female lovers while she was on tour. Reviews about her would say that she was horrible or ravishing. Like, they couldn't decide what to say about her. And she stood out like an exclamation mark. Because she's always had a sort of garish and over-the-top quality to her, which I love. Yeah. Um, it's impossible to look away from her. She's very captivating. I was thinking also of Pamela Anderson when she got discovered in a stadium on a jumbotron, and people yeah. were just like, I want to know more about her. I felt like she also had a really interesting energy to her. The je ne sais quoi. Yeah. <laughs> That's oh. all the French I know. <laughs> in Speaking of France, in 1925, there is a white socialite from France who is looking for cast members in the U.S., black cast members, who she's going to take back to Paris to be in a show in a review. They want to introduce Parisian culture to jazz and to black culture, and they are especially fascinated by the exotic African. So she moves from the U.S. to Paris, which was much less segregated and much more accepting of having black performers, for example. Like, they had mixed audiences there. They didn't have horrible segregation like we did in the states i'm sure it was still bad but it was i'm sure there was near. still racism and yeah. uh, fetishizing and right exotic, exotic dang it there's another <laughs> word I can't, exoticism you know what i'm saying mm. um in, in france i promise i talked good guys exoticism Exot do you want to try penetrative today penetrative hey <gasps> you just had a curse over your head i really did it was episode specific it really was um but yeah i'm sure they still had all of those terrible things but without the jim crow laws yes and, blatant racism that we had in America. Yeah, my note says move from U.S. to Paris equals racism to exoticism. Yes. And that is what she was able to take advantage of. So that's where she created La Dance Savage, the dance of the savage, and really leaned in to this racist gaze. She manipulated it. Like, this is what I think is especially fascinating and problematic about her character is... If you don't know, she is famous for wearing a banana skirt and little to nothing else. She would dance topless on stage and nearly naked. The banana skirt is very phallic, and she's imitating dance moves that come from African dance. 
And her reasoning, it's this is what people were writing about and what was so fascinating, is that she knew, like, this is what you want to see me for, so I'm going to do it, and you're going to pay me, and I'm going to become a star, and I'm going to take advantage of you. Yeah, she's taking ownership of it. And it's still, like, there's still people who don't agree with this choice, but she became very, very popular in Paris, and it seemed like she had active participation in her projects as well. Like, she was a creative director of her own role. It wasn't just, like, someone was telling her. Like, the banana skirt seemed to be her idea. Got it. She becomes a headliner at Folie Bergère, which is a cabaret music hall in Paris, and becomes so popular, women are buying almond oil to darken their skin to look more like her, and she would slick her hair back with egg whites. Like, if you've seen her hair, it's very, it's like flattened to her head. It looks like it's been gelled down, and so other women... This was the 20s, right? Yes. Yeah, that was very, that's like flapper-esque. The with style. Like, yeah, like the finger waves, and then... To your head. Yeah. yeah. She's known as being one of the most iconic performers of the jazz age. I hope I haven't. I'm like barely through half of one page. I told you there's a lot. There is. I know. We were going to do <laughs> two one, people in one yeah, episode. Yeah, we were going to do one person each and, and then I she, requested. <laughs> she said, no, no, no. <laughs> she says, I need a whole episode. She needs I said, at least a full episode. No problem. I'm a sleepy girl. <laughs> So she was called the Black Venus. Hemingway called her the most sensational woman anyone ever saw. She was one of the best paid performers in the world in the 1920s. Wow, wow. And this was all in France. Yes, okay. yes. She hadn't had any real success in the U.S. She says, like, I wasn't on Broadway. The shows that she was a part of were smaller, all-black casts, and she found her success in France. In 1927, she has a sort of fake celebrity wedding to her manager, who is Giuseppe Abatino, the Count d'Abatino. Um, Italian? No, yeah, that is an Italian name. I don't know that he was a real count. She was known as a count and then became her manager. They also called him Pepito. He sounds like a character. <laughs> so wait, question, question though. <laughs> yes. So this is her third marriage now? Correct. Did she ever get divorced from her first two? We're not sure about the second one. The first one, no, but also she was underage, so it wasn't legal. But I also agree that it seems like you the, would... This is polygamy at this point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's, she's, she says fuck the rules. I love it. Count Pepito, not a real count, it doesn't seem. Former stonemason, but also enjoyed a tall tale. And they never formally, they didn't legally get married. He introduced himself to her like, I have to be your manager. You have to work with me. And she's like, mm, okay, how useful will you be? And then they were off and on again lovers. And they said that they got married, but it seemed like it was just to make a spectacle, just like an event, like yeah. like the royal wedding. I, I mean, they really get married, but like they, they were trying to make it they publicity. Like, and, yeah, it was situation. a publicity stunt. They announced yeah. it to the press that like the count and the superstar are getting married, but they didn't. And he wasn't a count. We always love celebrity gossip, don't we? <laughs> Nothing changes. Nothing changes. In 1928, he, Pepito, challenged a Hungarian captain to a duel. This is another one of those like, is did this even really happen or is this just a story? Because somewhere where she was performing, the Hungarian captain was making advances on her. So Pepito challenged him to a duel. I assume Pepito won because he continued his story after that. Don't know what happened to the captain. But I just, I felt like she was the face that launched a thousand ships. You know, like men are literally dueling over her. Dueling? Yeah. About this time, she was the first black woman to also have a leading role in a silent film. 
And she's making lots of money now. She's becoming known as being very eccentric, very chic. And she now adopts many exotic animals who all wear diamonds. Do you want to guess what kind of exotic animals she owned? Please tell me one of them was a big cat, like a cheetah or a lion. Please, please. Chiquita the cheetah. <laughs> Chiquita the cheetah. Okay. Who went yes. everywhere with her? Apparently cheetahs are like, of the big cats, one of the more docile cat-like ones. They purr and That's sort cute. of mew. I would love to have a big cat. This is one of my life goals. However, Same. I don't think it's fair to them. No, the I would want acres and acres yes. of land that's appropriate for their their habitat. Like, sure. I don't want to put, you know, like a husky in the middle of the summer sort of thing. Yeah. I want to yeah. make sure it's appropriate. You would want to be able to take care of them. And there's also... And the climate that they're acclimated to. There are theories that Shakita, something horrible may have happened. Like, he might have had his teeth removed <gasps> oh. or his claws completely removed because he would perform with her all the time and he was known for jumping into the orchestra and startling the musicians and the guests. But it's just hard to imagine that there would never have been any incidences had he not. Yeah. And I honestly wouldn't put it past her. Like, she seems very ruthless. Yeah. And that was ways. that was sort of a common practice because I forgot mm. what actor was it? It was some American or English actors or something that they were filming something and they were filming with a lion and the lion was like an entertainment, like an actor lion, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And both of his front teeth were taken out and oh. they were so sad about it. So they adopted the lion and kept it in their house <laughs> with their children. Oh, no. Yeah, which is probably still dangerous, even though they don't have their teeth. They're very large animals with very big yeah. paws. Uh, but yeah, I think that was a pretty common practice for any sort of entertainment exotic animals. Yep. Yeah, and there was um, there was also some celebrity family that had pet lions. And there was some horrible incident, right, where someone got, like, their face bitten off. I think we're talking about the same thing. Yeah, they had pet lions, and then it was like, yay, everyone's so happy. And then there was but some they, I horrible think they were, death. They were rescued, but they were their pets. Yeah. So Melanie Griffith. Okay. Yep. Yeah, there are reasons to not have. Oh, but I want that to be me. I mean, it's She's very cute. It's very cute. Uh. Also, just how badass is it? Like, Josephine would uh, drive around in her Rolls Royce with her cheetah. That's adorable. I'm looking at a lion in bed with oh, it's a tip- little girl. Okay, Tippi Hedren, because, yeah, Melanie Griffith's okay. mom is Tippi Hedren. Okay. Okay, which famously was in Alfred Hitchcock's. Yes, I know yep. Tippi. 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 Um, but, yeah, she would just pal around in Paris with her pet cheetah in her Rolls Royce. Like, it doesn't get much more baller than that. But I was like, that's kind of... <laughs> I hate I hate to admit You've it, but peaked. that's that's sick as fuck. It's so fucking sick. <laughs> yeah, she was a superstar going to the 30s. She did have a, a world tour as well in 1928 to 29, and was performing in places where black women had never been invited to perform before. So she then gets into singing as well as dancing. She starts a makeup line, having a little Rihanna moment there. Dang. She buys a hotel. She opens Chez Josephine beautiful name for a beautiful club that was hers. She has this very famous song that was recorded in 1931, J'ai deux amours, mon pays and Paris. And that is, I'm like trying to do kind of a French accent, but also not sound stupid because I, I did enough French in college. I did it, but I think I can pull it off. But I also think it sounds stupid when people are like, oh, I'll have a glass of the Chenin Blanc. Chenin Blanc. And I'm like, bitch, you're white. Like, don't just, just say so Chenin. Just say Chenin. <laughs> okay, fair. France bitch, bitch, you're American. Europe. You're American, okay? Okay, American is lower than white, in my opinion. I'm sorry. There's like European and white, and then there's Americans at the very bottom. 
Uh, no, I agree, though. Or, or it's like the girl that goes to, you know, Spain for the summer. Yeah. It's like, oh, you mean Barcelona? Yeah, that's, exactly. That's how they say it there. Exactly, like, yes. Stop it. I feel like there's a middle ground when you don't say, like, Chen in blank. And right. you also don't say, yeah. Yeah, you can't do the English thing where they say, like, fillet. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But if you filet. say Yeah, exactly. But if you say filet, then Fil- it's like, filet. shut up. Anyway, (laughs) so the song, I Have Two Lovers, My Country, and Paris, that's what it translates to. And people say that it's obviously about the United States and Paris. I think it's about her two lovers. I don't buy, because she did not love America. She denounced it. She hated it. It had done her wrong. I did see that in my very minor, just Mm -hmm. to be up to date on what you're talking about sort of thing, that she renounced her U.S. citizenship. Yeah, um, she had also had a very torrid sexual history, like many lovers and many, like while she was with one of her later husbands, because there are more yet to come. <laughs> there were affairs. And this is so famous people shit. I don't know why there hasn't been a movie, but also I probably hate it. I would like a series. Like one movie would never do it justice. I would like a I, I, 12 episode limited series. I did look up that there... I think there was a there was a movie. She has cameos in a couple movies. Like she has a role in Midnight well, I thought in Paris, you meant, but um, I don't think she has her own movie. Oh, I like, thought you meant like a movie about her life. I don't know. That is what I mean. Oh yeah, there was um like a TV mm-hmm. miniseries that someone won an award for that was about her. Maybe I just none of them were good enough. Right. Okay. There was a TV movie in 1991. I want more. I don't want a TV movie. I want an HBO 12-episode limited series starring. I don't even know who could possibly do her justice, but think on it. And if anyone's listening who could please make that happen for me, I will roast your dating profile. Yeah, please, Netflix <laughs> execs that listen to our <laughs> podcast, please make this show you for our know. demands. You don't know. So in 19... 19- 36, she did come back to the U.S. to star in Ziegfeld Follies, which was a very famous chorus line show in New York, and was shocked by American racism because she hadn't been there now for about 10 years and had gotten used to being treated, one, like a superstar, but also like an equal to her white colleagues. Not the case in the U.S. No, no. And what was this, the 30s? 30s, yeah, yeah. 36. No, no. So um, she had the not legal but reported marriage to Pepito, the not count. And then in 1937, she marries Jean Leon to get citizenship, it seems like, because she leaves him shortly after. He is French, as the name implies, and she gets her citizenship a few days after marrying him and then shortly after leaves him because she's very goal-oriented. <laughs> yeah, wow. So, so, this is the uh, less... A uh, fatal version of uh, getting a life insurance policy and then <laughs> nicking them out afterwards. Yeah. I mean, which also I wouldn't put it past her. <laughs> By the way, I'll say all this to say, like, if I could choose my life, I would rather live this one than the one I had. But I also like extremism. So things just keep getting more exciting. In 1939, supposedly she had a relationship with Frida Kahlo. This is well reported. It's in books. But I was it's listening. also I saw in the Frida movie. Yeah. It, there's a someone that plays... Josephine Baker, and I have not seen the movie. Unfortunately, we're not sure if that was real. I was just listening to a podcast, and it was all about her life as a queer woman, and the host was like, I really tried to find proof of this. I want this to be true more than anyone. Please, I really want these two women to have been lovers, but unfortunately, the citations just don't seem to be there, and the fact that it was in the movie really cemented it as a theory, and I think we all just love the idea. Oh, I, I so much. I ship this so hard. Exactly, but it may not be true. 
1940, something not great happens, uh, worse than divorcing Jean-Léon. The Nazis invade France. And uh, yeah, that's pretty bad. Yeah, it's pretty bad. And there's someone in the French military secret police who was an acquaintance of hers, and they invited her to be a member of the French resistance to be a full-on spy. She is just badass all around. Truly. Yeah. So she has pre-war connections with Italian and German embassies from her performer life, and it would be very normal for her to go entertain at an embassy during the war. So she had invisible ink on sheet music that she would bring with her to her shows that would have secret messages. And supposedly, this also might be a theory that we just love that may or may not be true, but had secret messages also tucked into her underwear because who would dare strip search Josephine Baker? She was a legend. She's going through, I'm sure, customs and no one's going to make – she's a superstar. Yeah, celebrities are exceptions to the rules. You can get away with anything. She becomes a pilot. She's a member of the French Air Force. She sick. uses her private plane to deliver supplies. That is so fucking sick. I know. I know. She actually, in 1941, delivers a stillborn baby. <gasps> I know. And she always wanted to be a mother and couldn't have her own kids. And she was critically ill and was in the hospital for over a year, one source said. Seems yeah, like because a long time. childbirth is super high mortality rate. You, yeah. Women died in droves. Especially in 1941. Yeah. But, of course, she used her hospital room to continue her work in the French resistance. And it is said that different officers would come and meet and talk in her hospital room because they could go there at the same time. It wasn't a big deal. They were just visiting Josephine. Smart. Yeah. Even her hospital bed became a center for that. The American newspapers even reported that she died, (laughs) which makes me think of the uh, Mark Twain quote, rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Of course. Because she's a baddie. She wasn't going to give up that easy. And then she goes on to entertain French, British, and American troops, not as a spy, but just to do something. Like at the bases when they used to do that kind of stuff? Yeah, the girls would come and sing and like Like USO shit, mm -hmm. Bob Hope stuff. It's like, we're going to entertain the troops. Yeah, they haven't seen a woman in a year. And And I'm sure they're hooting and hollering and all sorts of very not objectifying stuff. That would be a horrible place to be. As a woman, I feel. Yeah. I would definitely want protection. I was about to say, protection of some sort in that situation. Part of her reasoning, she said, for that was also to be in front of these white men. And um, she said she didn't want them to acquire a hatred for color. And if she was their light of hope in this situation, it would give them an affinity toward her and other people of color. Well, that's a noble cause. And I hope it did do that for at least some people. Yeah, I also, just in the context of researching this, was seeing that it was hard for soldiers to come home because they were not, they were integrated in the military. Like, they weren't able to just have, they didn't have the resources to segregate them. And then how do you go back? Now, as you should be, like, a hero, and then you go back to the U.S. and it's like, now sit in the back of the bus. Yeah, and that's what, I mean, they talk about a lot where it's these people of color that fought on the front lines for America to come back to an America that hated them. Yeah, that's fucked up. So in France, World War II is wrapping up. She's she's a war hero. She's a celebrity. She's so well-loved. And she even at one point in her life receives the Legion of Honor medal in France, which is very high accolades for her work. I'll say that sounds real fancy. I'd say Legion d'honneur sounds even fancier in French. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Could you do that? Could you do that again, white girl? 
That's why I'm American girl. Honor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, even worse. But she returns to America after World War II. It sounds like the preferences in Europe had shifted, and she was also getting older. Like, she's not in a dancing topless in a banana skirt space in her life anymore. Not that you can't do that. That sounds like I'm gonna do that till I can't stand anymore. Are you <laughs> yeah. kidding me? Try to stop Fair. me. Yeah, but she she'd gotten into singing as well. Someone had written an opera for her, by the way, in the 30s, like for her to star in an entire opera. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, the face launch, thousand chips, and she returns to America after World War II. and then is facing all of that racism and segregation that you were just talking about. So she is dripping with moxie. She won't play segregated venues, she says in her contract. She also won't play black-only venues because it's just an extension of the same problem. Yeah, it's still segregation. Mm -hmm. She's denied at over 39 establishments where she was trying to book work. And anywhere that wouldn't, like, allow her to enter through the front entrance, she won't work Mm -mm. there either. Mm -mm. It's making waves and it's making a difference because now clubs are having to... Make a choice here of like, do we lose money with this show or do we bend what was formerly our expectations? She goes to eat at the Stork Club in 1951, which is the premier supper club in New York, and the servers would not serve her table. So she calls her lawyer and the chief of police <laughs> and, and stays there until the servers eventually give in and have to start to bring her her food or go wait on her. And I just love the. This is in New York? Yes. The idea of her just sitting at her table with her friends, just like, just leaning back waiting for like the chief of police to show up because she's got connections. Right. There's also a story that Grace Kelly, who did for sure become one of her friends, was also at the Stork Club and also intervened at this point and was like, you're not waiting on Josephine Baker? What's wrong with you? You absolute goobers. You idiots. Walter Winchell was there. Yeah, it was Walter Winchell, who was an American newspaper gossip columnist. He was there, and he saw this happen, and he started accusing her of being a communist in his Oh, and this is Red Scare era. In the 50s. Yeah, we're getting into... This is the 50s? Oh, yeah, this is like peak McCarthyism. This is, if you even whisper communist in someone's presence, you're going to get jailed. She also did, like, she went on a tour of South America, and she was also on good terms with Castro. Like, he invited her to Cuba personally. I'm sure America loved that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure they did. And I feel like part of it is that she hated America, that she's not going to follow those norms. I mean, like, fuck you. Of course, I'm going to go Yeah, it's like, you treat me like shit. Why would I follow your rules? Yeah. But she ends up on an FBI watch list. I saw one. Like all true queens. (laughs) Goals. Truly goals. Truly. I saw one sort of saying that there were 471 pages in her FBI file. Seems like a lot. Someone else said over 100 pages, but they had a lot to say about her. Was it just like pictures of her topless? (laughs) (laughs) We have all these pages. We need to look through them, boys. It's like the FBI agent who's always listening to your calls. He's like sitting there like, oh, I hope she has a good day today. (laughs) They're just invested in her life. (laughs) She goes back to Europe because things aren't going well for her here. And then... There's a story, also don't know if it's true, that Kennedy personally invited her back because he was a fan and thought that it was ridiculous that she would be. I mean, that's also very on brand for Kennedy, so I believe it. Yeah. She still decides to buy her 15th century chateau in the south of France where she raises her rainbow tribe. So she adopts. That's kind of problematic, but let's go on. (laughs) She has a Pokemon attitude to this where she's got to catch them all. Oh, no. (laughs) 
So she goes very Angelina Jolie, and I think Madonna had this going on as well, where she adopts 12 children of different nationalities that she raises on her estate that has 39 rooms, over 100 staff, a wax museum, a cafe, and a jazz club in it. It's even open to the public for tours, which her children hated, because she adopts the children of the different nationalities when they're quite young and then raises them wearing their traditional garb. So she basically makes her house like it's a small world at Disneyland. <laughs> yes. And Disney World or whatever. Yes. Sorry. One of yes. them Disney parks. And her children did not like it, unsurprisingly. And she even, she couldn't find a child from Israel to adopt. So she adopts a French boy and renames him Moaz, which is the French translation for Moses. And raises him as Jewish. She really has a strange view. I mean, her vision was like, I want to unite the nations and I want to show that all of these different kinds of people can live together in harmony. But but she was exoticizing her own children. Yes. I mean, I, I'm hoping she had good intentions by doing this. Well, this like is, you said, like trying to unite everyone and show that world peace is possible. But at the yes. same time, it's Those were the, yeah. child exploitation in multiple different facets. Yeah, that was the point of the tours is to show how they could all live together in harmony. And put children to work and on display. It seemed like she wasn't a very good mom. <laughs> Which, to be fair, um, different skill sets, you know, being a spy or a fantastic performer. Like, the, it's not the – that doesn't mean she was you know, set up for – some people can't have it all. No, she could not – she was a triple threat, but this was that, that fourth good mom element. Didn't didn't have that going. And I, I know she had help because she had this huge staff. So it's not like she didn't have – Nanny's like, oh, resources. I forgot. Sorry, I forgot to mention she got married again. <laughs> oh my gosh! I mean, I feel like at this point she's just getting married like every other year. So, did she have any biological children? No, I don't know. Okay. They were all adopted. She couldn't. She wanted to, but okay. um, in 1947 she has her. I think you would count this as her fourth marriage, except there was the fake one to Pepito. So this is her fourth marriage. Four and a half. Ma- four and a half. <laughs> Depends on how you count. Four point five. <laughs> uh, Joe Bouillon. Like the soup. I was about to say, I was like, the cubes? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> he was he was bisexual. It seemed like they were sleeping with other people and maybe were kind of poly. And they had a torrid relationship in that, like, there were divorce proceedings that they just didn't follow through on. She was married to him for the longest time, for sure. That was uh, 1947 to 1961. So oh, wow. much longer than any of her previous. 14 years. Wow, yeah. Yeah. And... There's a story of her seducing Joe when she was getting to know him, and there was also a story of her seducing a male dance partner who was gay, and it just seems like there is a power element to her sexuality. I mean, yeah, there is. It doesn't even just seem like, but this is like when she was taking off her clothes to dance in the 20s. It's like, you're going to, you're trying to strip me of this power, so instead I'm going to use what I have, which a big part of that was her sexuality, to exert her sort of control over other people. Yeah. So there was that. But she's married to Joe. She has her rainbow tribe in the south of France. It's got so terrible. <laughs> That's what she called it. That was her God. name. She was excited about that. She even gave a speech on it in Copenhagen about being mother to the world. So, oh, yeah. Also, um, she... Kicked out one of her sons because he was gay. Shut up. Yeah. She had him go live with her ex, Joe Bouillon, who then lived in South America somewhere. She never admitted to being bi. So this is also why I was kind of wondering, were these all just stories? Was this just 
a fable that she was bisexual. But I do – it seems like there was way too much evidence that she was queer, but she never admitted to it. So I don't even know if she ever really identified as that to herself. It was more just like, I do what I want. You know, I'm fluid. She's just like hedonistic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then her son – she also wouldn't let her sons like grow their hair out or wear bell-bottom pants like into the 60s and 70s. She was restrictive of them. But she forced Jerry to leave the chateau when he came out, and that was probably very traumatic to him. So. Uh, slightly. Slightly. Especially, yeah. I mean, yeah. her very possibly being queer herself and yeah. probably being around a lot of queer people and doing that to her own son is horrific. Yeah. So people are complicated. Yeah. In 1963, she was invited to speak at the March on Washington. She was one of two female speakers, I believe. And she was also offered the lead on the civil rights movement by Coretta Scott King after MLK was assassinated. And she said she turned it down because her children shouldn't lose their mother like her she didn't want to leave her children behind and i completely believe that considering how loosey-goosey she was with her own safety all throughout her life like right. she seems to be like like she could have she would have been she yeah she was killed. a french resistance fighter like she yeah. didn't care about her mortality as much as exactly and she did always want to be a mom so that definitely tracks yeah and especially right after yeah he got assassinated John F. Kennedy got assassinated. Yeah. We were just assassinating we everybody just that, them we're, off. that we're talking about civil rights. So, yeah. yeah, fair enough. But she was seen as an activist because of all of her – she wouldn't she wouldn't go away. Like, she wouldn't just not be <laughs> served. She wouldn't work at a club that wouldn't she put follow her rules. She She did, yeah. And so she gave this speech, and I'm going to read a quote from her. In this speech she gave, she said, You know, friends, that I do not lie to you when I tell you I've walked into the palaces of kings and queens and into the houses of presidents and much more, but I could not walk into a hotel in America and get a cup of coffee, and that made me mad. And when I get mad, you know that I open my big mouth and then look out, because when Josephine opens her mouth, they hear it all over the world. Slay! Fuck yeah. Also, talking in third person is very um, diva iconic, like, tells me a lot about her as well. Yes. I mean, that was one of the iconic parts of what you just said. <laughs> that was a, fa a facet of the iconicness of that quote. Yes. 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 She was known at the time as being important to the movement. And also, I think her celebrity status would be part of why Coretta offered this to her. Like, of course. Like, do you want to now be the poster girl of this? And well, and especially because she's international, too. It's mm -hmm. like, if we can get people in other countries on board with us and have pressure from the outside world, that's going to be invaluable. Yes. Yes. In 1969, it seems like she went bankrupt. She wasn't good with money. So what I've also seen sprinkled throughout here. She had enough of it that she could get away with not being good with money. Well, yeah, she had diamond collars for her cheetah. Oh, so. yeah. Sorry, I forgot to mention that she also had um, a chimp, a parakeet. What else? A goat. These aren't as exciting. I, was like, I believe she had a snake. She had like, a pig. These aren't, these aren't exciting. <laughs> no, we led with the cheetah for a reason, but she had a menagerie. And don't get me wrong. I love all animals. I'm a big animal fan. But after you, you led with we cheetah. We led with cheetah. I know. You can't top cheetah. Yeah. That's, that is what she is most known for as well. But yes, she did adorn. I think even her pig got its own little diamond collar. Of course. Is, I mean, of course. <laughs> what? Duh. Even the pig? Excuse you. <laughs> Obviously Pigs the are pig. very smart. And they actually are, yeah, probably the smartest of all the ones that we <clears throat> listed. 
So she's having money troubles. She hasn't been doing shows in the United States in this chapter. No, sorry. She's in, I don't know why I picture her in the U.S. Because she did come here, but then she left. She's not, no. She's because okay. she is American and she Maybe did that. come back and forth a little bit. And <laughs> a it's little, hard, right. it's, it's hard it's like to back de- in France. decentralize America from narratives in general. It's probably it. But she's very decentralized from America. She's in France. And bankrupt. So she calls in some favors. She reached out to Castro. It's like, I need I need some She's help like, here. What up, Castro? Yeah. <laughs> hey, bud. What are you up to? Revolution? Cool. Anyway. <laughs> he sends her some Cuban fruit as, as a helpful return. What's a Cuban fruit? Like mangoes? Fruit that grows in Cuba? <laughs> I don't know. That travels well? I guess. Reaches out to Grace Kelly, much yeah. more helpful. She gives her a manor in, in Monaco. I was about to say, I was like, is she already Princess of Monaco at this point? Yes. Hell yeah. Yeah, Grace Kelly also, I don't know much about her story, but sounds <gasps> Grace, interesting. Grace Kelly actually would be a good one for our, yeah. for our series. Yeah. But she, Grace was a fan of Josephine. So it was, okay, it was in 1969 that she went bankrupt because there's a picture of her sitting on her front step after she was forcibly evicted by the new owners. The chateau was sold in an auction to help pay her debts that she ran up taking care of her large family of adopted children. And also, I mean, I think she could have taken care of her family in a, a more modest chateau. Well, I'm sure she was, you know, busy buying them clothes to make them... Right. <laughs> Look like representations. Yeah, giving them regalia from their... Motherland. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um... She goes bankrupt, calls in some favors, and then in 1975, she puts together a return to the stage. She pulls a Pamela Anderson again and goes back to – but hers was specifically about her. It was a celebration of 50 years of performing because she really made it big in 1925. Now we're in 1975. Which is weird because 1975 is now 50 years ago. (laughs) Whoa. She had a wonderful show. It was rave reviews, lots of high-profile people. She's 68 years old at the time. Wow. And four days later, she dies. Four days? Four days. Four days. She has a a cerebral hemorrhage. (gasps) Apparently, she'd had had a stroke. She had health problems that she didn't share, which doesn't surprise me. So no one knew. But this is her final performance. It seems like she only did this show once, and it was... To help her get back on her feet and raise money. She do you wanna do you wanna guess what she was surrounded by on her deathbed? Rave reviews. They said that she had newspapers all around her saying how fantastic she was. So she had this very fascinating life. I just think, despite the elements where it's like, um, okay, you're mm, Josephine, come on. Like, she's a larger-than-life person. I don't know that she would have been good to know personally. Like, she might have been a little I think she would have annoyed the shit out of me. But uh, in terms of the effect that she had on the world and you know, being, like, the first black woman to be cast in a silent film, for example, like, she was revolutionary in her time and made incredible positive impact yeah as well and she stood her ground and she, she did she made a stink in the right ways yep. and who knows where we would be without her well there would be one less banana skirt in the world um that didn't quite flow what i was going to try to get into yeah, that that's I, have. I was like i know where you're trying to go with this <laughs> but i don't work. know i don't there would be actually many less banana skirts possibly none cuz i'm not the only one i have a tribute act to her cuz i'm also a dancer and 
I found out who she was in when I was a teenager. I saw a performance that was also in her honor. The girls were not wearing banana skirts, but they were doing a Charleston performance. And were just sort of like birds. They had like green leotards and like feathers and just sort of animalistic. And it wasn't pretty. The dance was not cute. And I was very intrigued by it. If you've ever seen what's called buto dancing, it's totally different style, different origins. But it's very macabre and grotesque, and it's like contorting your body in ways that are not pretty. And I think dance is so many things and so many different expressions, but I really enjoy when it's not meant to be aesthetically pleasing. And a lot of her movements, like, they were sexy, but they were also just kind of wacky and weird. She's very comedic and kind of gangly, and I just was so intrigued by that. And then I learned about her story and was like, okay, she is a baddie in every sense of the word, and um, have my own banana skirt that I made. And one time when I was performing this act, which was actually the show that Alexis was at, my one of my studs, I have gold studs in, the bananas fell out, and while I was using doing something where I pushed oh, my no, hands I in totally the ground, I punctured my hand on the stud, so it was like in my hand, and I did what any good performer would do and pulled it out and kept going, and it didn't bleed very much because it was a very clean puncture at a good fleshy part I of had, my yeah, hand. I had no idea until she told later. Yeah. She, the show went on the show out has to of go on. But you know, Josephine would do the same thing for sure. Oh, absolutely. I think her contribution to the world of dance as well has, we've recreated her movements and as someone who dances vintage jazz dances, including Charleston, we look at her as one of the mothers of this dance and someone who we draw a lot of influence and inspiration from. So that is the story of Josephine Baker. That was a wild ride. I know. know, It just keeps going. It really – I feel like you were like, oh, oh, and, 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 and. And wait. But wait, there's more. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But we're going to wrap it up for today and we might be – we could mix up our historical badass women or we could do one next week. We'll see. Whatever you want. Yeah, we'll see how we feel. I think we're just going to definitely have these sprinkled in from time to time to have some sort of positive, uplifting – Mostly uplifting. Yes, yes. Storytelling. Overall, overall uplifting. Yes. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email sadgap.podcast at gmail.com. If you want to send in dating profiles, first date stories, if you want to ask any advice, I think we both would enjoy giving advice in a nice way. Yes. We would be nice for that, for sure. Yes. We, yeah. If you if you want advice, again, just take it with a grain of salt, I guess. <laughs> okay, I think we could go, I said this to my Look, therapist. Don't sue me, okay? That's all I have oh, to say. okay, okay. Just don't. Sure. Don't sue No me. suing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I said this to my therapist once. I was like, someone, because she obviously hears about my worst, the worst of the worst. But I was like, oh, I was telling my friend this. And I was like, I actually think I give good advice. She was like, oh, no, no, I absolutely believe that. Because it's very different to counsel someone else as opposed to live your own. They're totally different things. Oh, yeah. I say that all the time yeah. to friends and patients. Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Don't go out and binge drink this weekend. You should make healthier, better choices. Yes. So just another another invitation to get in touch. But I am Misandrist Memes on Instagram. And I'm TXGothGF. And we are sadgap.podcast we're gonna get the cadence so good one day i mean that was pretty good pretty good but we're gonna get it we're gonna get it we're gonna harmonize so good Ooh, actually yeah i could could harmony okay great thank you all so much um closer something about josephine baker oh how, how about this josephine baker was a badass bitch and we're stronger together we'll see you next time bye bye cool did it yeah